0: Alright, uh, let's go to Psalm 51. We're going to read a verse here, uh, part of a verse actually. Psalm 51, where David writes this psalm after he has, of course, uh, gone through a year of, of uh, trouble. A year or so of uh, great guilt. And he's lived this year in misery. He's lived this year like some of us. We go through a time period of our lives where we overlook sin and so we're guilty and we're weighted down and uh, we haven't kept a short account with God and we haven't uh, made confession at the throne of grace on a daily basis. And David here, in Psalm 51, he's finally getting things right. He's clearing it out. He's opening things up and... Getting a fresh look again, a fresh uh, meeting with the Lord, um, I tried to think of what this would be like for for me as far as on a, some kind of an example, a level of an example, and uh, i can't uh, anyway, I came back in, back and forth, but I finally said, you know i 'm just going to give this example. you know a, a, a shower is pretty um awesome when you're hauling hay or straw and you're throwing bales up on the wagon and uh, you've got just all this dust coming down on you. I remember many times as a teenager uh, we would haul hay and straw for uh, my uncle worked for a big farmer in the area and so he'd hire us to come and work for him and we'd get up in these little barns that had one little window and the 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 elevator, the hay elevator, went through that one window. So there was no other airflow in there. And it was smoking hot in the middle of the summer, you know, five, six o'clock at night. And the dust is everywhere. I'm glad we couldn't see the dust, you know, because if we could have seen the dust, we'd have realized what we're eating and breathing in. And, And it was just really hot and miserable. And you get done with that. And the whole day, I remember many times, those days would go to 10, 11 o'clock at night. We had to get the, the hay in. It can't sit out overnight in the, in the dew, and it'll get ruined. And you just work as long as you could. And finally, you'd finish the job, and you come in, and you just clean everything up. And it's the itchy, oof, oh, all over the, the, the body, itchy and sticky, hot. And you finally get cleaned up. What a, what a blessing that felt like, you know. Cold. I remember just turning the water completely cold. And you know, you're shaking, but still it feels so good to get that fresh cleansing. And that's what David is in this chapter, he's going through. In chapter 51, verse number six Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me. To know wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the first part of verse number 3. Paul says this, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. With pure conscience. So, I was recently reading and I started seeing this word pop up a lot in scripture reading. And it's the word conscience. So I just... Out of curiosity, I looked it up to see what it meant. And Paul the Apostle, 26, well, okay, if Hebrews is not written by Paul, it's 22. But if Hebrews is written by the Apostle Paul, it's 26 different times in his writings where Paul uses this word, conscience. I have a pure conscience. I have a clear conscience before God. And someday, and there's many other references to this idea in Paul's writings also, where he doesn't actually use the word conscience. But Paul lived his life as a Christian with a clear conscience. And so I, I want to preach today on this idea, the blessings of having a clear conscience. The blessings of having a clear conscience. And so I ask that you'll pray with me that God will help us to have uh, a challenge today from his word as we think about this idea. Teenagers, that God will give you uh, the wherewithal to, to desire this clear conscience. And I want to present it to you. It's a blessing to have this. This isn't something everybody has. It's something that many of you might not have right now. And I want, I'm hoping that God will put upon your heart the desire to have this clear conscience. When you lay your head down at night... You know that God is real. You know that heaven's real. If you don't wake up from this night's sleep, you know you'll wake up in heaven. You know that God's, God is working in your life. You know He's real. And that's what I want to preach about today. I hope you'll receive it uh, with the Lord's help. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, as we've gone through this semester, there's been many, many good decisions that have been made this year. Lord, a lot of this has been done, I believe, because of chapel. And so I pray that you'll use this time today. Lord, it's certainly not a small thing for me to stand here and preach your word. And it's not a small thing for all these young people and college students and teenagers to be here today. And Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you'll just meet with us. I pray that you'd instill in our hearts a desire to have a clear conscience before you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The brothers of Joseph sold their brother, little brother Joseph into slavery. And uh, he gets taken down to Egypt. They knew what they'd done. They lied about it. They covered it up. They pretended to their father that their brother had must have gotten killed. And, of course, the whole thing was a total lie and they knew it. And uh, for years, evidently, about 22 years later, we see them finally seeing Joseph again. But they didn't know it. Joseph was a ruler in Egypt, and they're standing before him, and Joseph's accusing them of all kinds of terrible things. You're spies, and you're down here just to take advantage of us Egyptians. And, And so he throws them into prison, and... That evening, as they're sitting in their jail cells, whatever that looked like, Joseph comes by to listen to them. He wants to hear what they're saying. He wants to probably just maybe catch a little glimpse if their dad is still alive or what they're like by now. A long time has gone by, 22 years. uh, That would have been, for me, the year 2000. How many of you were born before the year 2000? Just a few of you. It's amazing. It's not because I'm old, Pastor Armacos. It's just that I'm old. (laughs) Um, Wow, that, that really puts things in perspective. But 22 years ago, so he's listening and he wants to hear what they're saying. And lo and behold, out of their mouth just pours forth this guilt. This is because of what we did. And every time something happened to them, every time a deal went bad, every time the crops didn't grow like they were supposed to, every time a lion killed a sheep, every time something negative happened in their lives, they came back to this thought, this is because of what we did. And they did not have a clear conscience. It bothered them. The guilt was just overwhelming to them. And one of them says, yeah, I tried to save his life. And the other said, no. Uh, And they're bickering back and forth. And all this trouble, I can just imagine that this went on for years. Every time there was something came up, they're accusing each other, and they're trying to figure out how they can overcome. They had no answers for this. Their conscience bothered them. This word here, thou desirest truth, in Psalm 51. I looked it up. I thought this was pretty interesting. The Hebrew word for truth, it means truth in a very specific sense. The word itself has a structure that makes it mean more than just a truth or this truth or that truth, we usually think you know a truth, you know two plus two equals four, and so that's kind of its uh, a truth on its own little island but but this word here in psalm fifty one it literally has the idea of the whole truth, not just a truth or this or that truth here or there, we all are like that you know we we all have a little truth here and there, you know we we want to. Make sure we're saved. But to go beyond that, you know, well, that's a little... You know, I can still be saved and a little, just believe a little different. I can still go to heaven when I die, but I don't really have to commit my whole... So what we do is we, we relegate truth just to these little areas of our lives. Re, but, but this word truth means the whole truth. Thou desirest the whole truth. Listen to this. I thought this was very interesting. If the whole 22-letter alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet were listed out, plus the five final forms of the letters, there would be 27 characters. The first, the middle, and the last of those 27 characters is this word truth. And it literally means the whole truth. The first, the middle, and the end. God wants the whole truth out of us. Thou desirest truth in the inward part. Now, you know, his word is true. This is where we get the truth from, but it's not just that we see the truth in the Bible and we see, okay, well, we assent mentally. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's true. Of course it's true. And I love that about the Bible. I think that's just an awesome thing that the Bible is the perfect filter. Everything should be filtered through the Bible. And, and if something doesn't make sense, we say, whoa, wait a second, where's, where's my problem? Why am I not understanding the Bible? When we read anything else, when we read the news, right, we filter the news. We don't filter the Bible, we filter ourselves to the Bible. But when we read the news, we filter the news. When you read a book, right, at Fairhaven Baptist College Library... Right, you librarians, you open up the front page and it says something to the effect that the college cannot agree with everything written in this book. Well, of course not. If I wrote a book, I wouldn't agree with everything in the book. You know, and you wouldn't either. There's always something wrong with it. Our sources, our resources have to be filtered through the Bible. But the Bible is perfect, it's the truth. And so we have to change who we are to fit the Bible. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. So this word conscience it, it does not mean against science. Some of you might get that con science. <clears throat> the word conscience in the, both the Greek and the English literally means to know with to know with. It's ultimately what a person believes is right and how a person decides what is right. So what do you believe is right and how do you decide what is right? And so then that, of course, is carried out in your actions and what you do. So if I believe something is right and I'm going to decide how I come or I decide how I come to that opinion on what is right, then that's naturally going to affect what I do, my practice. So, I believe that uh, vegetables are healthy. Edmund, no comment. <laughs> um, I always say, I'm not a rabbit. But I do like some green. And last night we had some very good Caesar salad, and I ate a big, nice, healthy bowl of it, and that'll probably last me on most of the week, you know. But, um, but I assent, it's good for you. Health, it's healthy. And how do I decide that? Well, my wife tells me it's healthy, you know. And But before I had a wife, I knew my mom and my dad. They told me that it was healthy. And I, of course, have read that it's healthy and it's good for you to eat that. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to just have a diet of ramens and mac and cheese. I'm going to have a diet that includes other things. And so, thankfully, my wife, almost every night when we eat, she has some kind of a vegetable, green beans or Oh, peas. Mmm, I hear. You either love them or you hate them, right? And I happen to love them. I grew up uh, eating peas fresh out of the garden, squeezed the pods in my mouth as a little kid and all that good stuff. But, so, what do you, do, what do you believe is truth, and how do you decide what is truth? And, you, and your mind, your mind mentally agrees and says, you know what, I need to do that. This this is right, and this is wrong, and I'm going to do, I'm going to balance my life accordingly. We'll get to this, but a seared conscience, a person who has a seared conscience, they, they don't care what is right or wrong. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. Right or wrong don't mean a whole lot to them. For a long time, Western nations, influenced by Christianity... Have believed in the primacy of conscience. In other words, the idea that a person should never be forced to do something that they believe is against their deeply held values and principles. So, we should have, we should have deeply held values and principles. You should have deeply held, val- teenagers, you should have deeply held values things that you believe are so important that you wouldn't give up anything for those values. Now, that's that's a Christian thing. People who say, well, you just kind of live and let live. Do whatever, just kind of fit. Oh, no, that's not true Christianity. That's not living in truth. And so there's nothing wrong. Don't let the world tell you, well, you just need to conform a little bit. Okay, I'll conform, to. I'll change my ways on certain things if it's okay with the Bible, if it's okay with my beliefs, but I have these beliefs that guide me first. Here in recent times, this idea has come to be questioned. Here's an example. An Australian bioethicist named Julian, and I'm not going to try to see his last name, believed that doctors working in the public system should be banned from objecting to procedures because it compromises patient care. In other words, abortion. Any doctor who refuses to do something because I believe that's wrong, that doctor should be banned. They have to conform for the greater good. It's not biblical. We should have our own set of beliefs our conscience gives us those set of beliefs and it's developed through the scriptures and through the holy spirit so a clear conscience is a wonderful thing to have our world view this uh, our this debate is really about our world view where people's foremost responsibility is to their own personal beliefs of right and wrong And the other side is the duty is balanced against the needs of the common good. And I'm for the deeply held values of Scripture. But a, a clear conscience is a wonderful thing. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We're not talking about whether a person is a sinner or not. Did you know you can have a clear conscience and be a sinner? Paul was a sinner. We're all sinners. Paul had struggles Romans chapter 7 says that he, he had this great struggle within himself to do right and to do wrong, but he still had a clear conscience. He knew that his desire ultimately was to please God, and we'll get to this some more. So, so it's not about being perfect. Well, I, don't, I can't ever be perfect, so I guess I'm just not going to worry about that. That's the wrong approach. Bible says, "...there is none righteous, no, not one." It says, "...all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." Psalm 130 says, If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? If thou shouldst mark iniquity, if you are going to go around and chalking up all the sin I do, I'm never going to make it. But you know what? God is a God of forgiveness, and God's forgiveness can give you a clear Conscience, And so we'll get to that. So why does the scripture make such a big deal about having a clear conscience? Why does Paul make such a big deal? Let me give you, and John and others in the New Testament, let me give you several main thoughts here today about a clear conscience. First of all, a clear conscience gives boldness with men and confidence with God. Gives boldness with men and confidence with God. By the way... I love, we talked about this last night in our uh, Christmas party, and one of the awards, I like to give out awards for dumb things, and so I hope none of you guys were offended last night. It was all in jest and fun, and there's always a little bit of, you know, wiggle truth in there, right? You know, but it's all, I gave you chocolate for it, okay? So don't get too mad at me, but we had a good time. Um... But uh, one of the things we talked about, just briefly, and so I I was thinking about this later again last night, um, the change that has come over some of your lives since you came to college. And uh, boy, that's just, that's worth it all to me. Man, it's it's always so exciting to see someone who comes in and, and they might struggle with the rules, they might struggle with their attitude, they might struggle with their classes, But you know what? They turn it around and they don't let that keep them down and keep them back. They just say, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to trust the Lord. And then the Lord lights a fire under them. And they get on fire. They're soul winning and they're actively praying and spending time with God every day. Man, that's exciting. And so God changes you. Isn't that exciting? God changes who you are. Um, I really believe God even changes your personality. Some of us need our personality to change, don't we? Man, he can change. But everything's always, you're always grumpy. God can change your personality. He can change who you are. That's that's what he's in the business of doing. By the way, I, I was reading the other day, and we were talking about this a little bit, but someone said, you know, Jesus was in the world to love the sinners. Okay, That's partially true, but you know what Jesus was doing while he was loving sinners? He was changing them. He was changing them. There's a big difference. Zacchaeus was changed. Jesus spent time with sinners. Mary Magdalene, she was was wicked. She was horrible, had demons and so on. But Jesus wasn't there just to say, oh Mary, it's okay. Jesus loves you. Oh, no, no, Jesus was there to change her. How about the woman at the well? Right? Jesus came to the woman at the well, not just to show her that he cared. What does that mean anyway, by the way? I care for you. Well, then do something. Jesus cared enough for her to give her a new life and living water. Jesus wants to change a sinner. Don't don't let this excuse be in your life. Well, it's about love. Jesus loves me anyway, and Jesus, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven so I can kind of do it. No, no, Jesus wants to change you. He wants to give you a new life. A clear conscience gives you boldness with men and confidence with God. Paul said this in in, uh, Corinthians, The testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, We have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. So a godly sincerity, a simplicity and godly sincerity. John said this in 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. What is this condemnation of the heart? It's your conscience. It's your realizing, oh man, I'm wrong here. Do you ever feel that way, by the way? If you do, where you, I just have this sin that there's so many things I know I'm doing wrong, and if anybody ever calls me to the office, if I get a note from Pastor Armacos, can I meet with you? And you're like, Oh, great. What is it? Oh, let me think. Oh, it might be this. It might be that. But I don't know what. Why don't you just confess those things to God? And don't wait for a note and don't sit there shaking in your boots. Mr. Reinhardt wants to see you. Dad and mom, hey, I need to talk. Now, if your dad and mom never talk like that, mine did. I need to talk. You know, after a while, you realize they just have something really serious, you know, that they want to talk to me about. But it might not be something they caught me. But, but just confess it. If you live your life that way, I feel sorry for you. Just confess it. Get it right. <clears throat> By the way, sometimes that confession, a lot of times it means going to a person. Getting it right. Listen, I was wrong. Surprise, surprise. We all need to do that. It always, the devil just plays with our minds, doesn't he? Oh, if you do that, they won't think you're perfect. I think they already got that one figured out. <laughs> If you do that, you might get in trouble and you might get kicked out of a fun activity. How important is a clear conscience to you? How important is it? Well, that clear conscience is so valuable. I think that's why Paul talked about it so much. Gives you boldness with men. Gives you confidence with God. Paul never claimed to be perfect. But he did live a life that was sincere. It was not double-minded. It was without hypocrisy. Please turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul uses this word, conscience, quite a few times in First and Second Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared. What goes along with a conscience that is seared? Lies, hypocrisy, demons. Verse number one Demons, lies, Hypocrisy. This goes along with a conscience that becomes cauterized. The word seared there is the idea of have you ever taken a, a rope if you if you do things around a farm at all, you've done this. Have a rope and you cut a rope, but you can't just leave that rope because it'll fray out. So what do you have to do? You have to cauterize the end of it. And so you get a match. You can't burn the rope. So you just get a little fire and you're in and out of the fire a little bit, right? If you've ever done that. And and you Keep that, that, that it just turns rock hard. Here's a nice soft rope, but right on the tip, it's all cauterized. It's hard, hard as a rock. <clears throat> I've used this example numerous times, but my dad always went bare feet and still does when he can. So if he's working for somebody, he's, he's almost 80 years old and he still wants to go work and climb up on a roof, all these crazy things. But, but he, when he's not around people, he'll, and it's warm enough outside, he'll kick his shoes off. And he's done this for years. I mean, he likes to show off the, uh, the padding on the bottom of his feet. And it looks like, you know, whatever. I mean, it's really thick. So uh, he'll, he'll stand on the gravel, you know, and go like this. You know, Does that hurt you if you try that? And I said, no, I'm not trying it. <laughs> you know, I'm going there um but one time many years ago we we had a big brush fire back in the woods and he had a bunch of garbage and brush and stuff he had trying to get rid of so the next morning he's barefoot he goes out there to kind of rake together the outside brush and so on and didn't realize it but as he's walking around in some of the ashes there was a coal that stuck to the bottom of his foot And he literally didn't feel it. And it got stuck on his calluses. And it sat there and it burned and roasted about a quarter inch in before he finally felt it. that's kind of gross. But now he's got a hole in the bottom of his foot. He's got to deal with. And so, man... uh, how long does it take you when something, when God wants to speak to you and the Word of God, you open it up and it's a coal and it's a fire and it's burning, it's there to make a difference in your life? Does it take a while before it really affects you? Maybe it doesn't affect you at all. Maybe you're able to walk away from that in the morning and it doesn't even bother you. The Word of God is supposed to change us, it's supposed to affect us, it's supposed to sit in our mind. And meditate there and dwell there, but it doesn't even affect some of us. We've got a seared conscience. We've got a cauterized callus in our life that keeps the Word of God from having an effect on us. A clear conscience gives you boldness with men and confidence with God. A clear conscience is something you're hardly aware of when it's operating as it should, it's like a clean filter. You ever have a vacuum, a shop vac or something like that? It's got a filter on it. And boy, everything's got good power and everything's moving. You can put it about to anything. Boy, it'll suck it right up and clean it up. But you go collecting some uh, drywall dust. Man, that's the worst, isn't it? Drywall dust. Clog that filter up before long you realize it's not picking up anything anymore. You put it down there on the ground to pick up some garbage, and it doesn't move. Oh, something's wrong. It's not moving. Now you notice it, right? That's what our conscience, that's clear. You hardly even notice it. Hey, this, there's something sensitive that comes up. You say, ooh, yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. I need. There's that preaching that goes on. Boy, and as you walk out, boy, I really need to go and take care of that. Everything's working smoothly. But all of a sudden, and when you allow sin and it clogs that up, and before you realize it, you say, okay, that preacher's kind of boring. My Bible, I don't know what the deal is. I can't stay awake anymore in the morning when I read my Bible. I don't know what the deal is. There's something not right. And before you realize it, you're clogged up. You've got your conscience isn't clean like it should sin is entered in Hebrews chapter 12 literally says if you be without chastisement this talking about uh, uh, people God's chastisement on a on a believer where of all our partakers then are ye bastards and not sons you better do an inspection something's not right God's not even after me God's not even chasing me down something's wrong. Number three, a conscience trained, wrong, and deceived will tell you everything is just fine. A seared conscience, as First Timothy chapter 4. There are clean, redeemed, purified consciences and there are faulted, deceived consciences. When a person can do wrong and still feel all right, he's in trouble. When you think everything's fine and you've got obvious sin in your life, your conscience needs cleaned. It needs checked. Your heart needs cleaned. Some say, let your conscience be your guide. Oh, no. Oh, no. The conscience is important, but it's not what guides you necessarily apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the Word of God. A leading crime fighter in this country used to say no one ever committed a crime without first justifying it in his own mind. There's one reason why our conscience gets clogged up and insensitive. Because we justify things in our own minds. It's okay. It's not a big deal. That's what I think is the most common excuse. It's just a rule in the college. It's just this. It's just one day of not having my devotion. It's just this. We justify it in our own mind. The would-be criminal first conformed the illegal deed with whatever conscience he possessed. I deserve this. Society owes it to me. I'm retaliating because somebody mistreated me. His, my parents, they abused me when I was a kid. My wife doesn't love me. That sort of excuse, justifying it in our own mind. Another reason why people's conscience doesn't bother them anymore is because they ignore the inner voice of the Holy Spirit protesting every step of the way. The Holy Spirit is convicting and saying, no, 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 that's wrong. And you say, well, okay, this one time I'm going to do this. And you reject that voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through your conscience. And you will, before long, be doing things that you never thought you'd do. James writes of this doubting person in James chapter 1. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways what's a double-minded man? That's like the, the person in Matthew six. Jesus said, uh, "You can't serve two masters. you can't be distracted with two masters. One, uh, sorry, one is unstable, one will lead you the wrong way, one will lead you, but you can't sit in the middle. A double-minded man reminds me of a Dr. Doolittle story. Uh, He had a little fake animal called Push-Me-Pull-You. And it was an animal with a head at either end of its body trying to walk in two different directions. Can you picture that? Trying to head in two different directions. It's almost like a game of -of tug-of-war. And some of us, some of you live that way. Serving two masters, the heads, two heads going two different directions. Paul says this in Acts 24, 16. I'm going to read you some verses that deal with the conscience here from Paul. Paul said to Felix, the Roman governor, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts 24, 16. Void of offense toward God and toward men. I love, not love, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm always thankful when I hear someone saying, look, I did wrong. I, I need to get that right. I, need, I I cheated. I lied. I said I did something, but I really didn't. And I don't like to hear those things, but I'm thankful for those things because that means you have a conscience bothering you, the Holy Spirit using that to convict you, and you're sensitive to it. Toward God and toward man. Again, do you ever go and apologize to anybody? Say, well, I never offend anybody. Serious? You're just not noticing. If you're human, which I think we all are, then we owe apologies to people here and there. We got to go to somebody and say, look, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Paul had a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul says to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. Later in that same chapter, verse 19, he says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Man, the blessing of the pure conscience. The blessing of the pure conscience. My senior year of college, I, I made some things right. I had I had let uh, just a lot of dry, dead Christianity in, and I was really going through the motions. I got uh, some some nice wake up calls, and uh, I remember the time. It was a good bit of time after that. Man, the Holy Spirit was was working on my heart, it was real, um, it was really exciting. It wasn't fun, because it was always the next thing, you know, deal with this too. All right, Lord, I'll deal with that too. And the next thing, and, and it was just a real purging process for me. You know what, that's that's the, the life that God wants us to live in. And we come out of that having... God, He's real to us. The Holy Spirit's conviction is real. Church services are real. The altar call is real. We spend time with God. It's not something just uh, where we have to do it. It's not just forced upon us. Some of you, your parents have to force you to do this. Or you never do this. feel sorry for you. May, May the Holy Spirit guide you and work through your conscience. Some of you need to clear out your conscience like you would a shower drain. Gross. Gross. Clear it out. Get things moving again. You need to clean that filter on that vacuum. Get it cleaned out and get it moving again. Lord, where's the problems in my life? Where's the problems uh, in in my heart? Let the inward part be truth. Let truth run my life like a well-oiled machine. I had to put that in there for a ray, a well-oiled machine. Everything's moving clearly. Man, when our conscience is clean and right and we don't have sin just festering there constantly, boy, life is so much better. It's so much better. The clear conscience, when you can lay your head down at night, that's always the example, right? But that's the truth. Man, when I say I've made things right with God and with man and my wife, and I've got things right, guess what? I can put my head down at night. And there's a real peace that only God can give, a clear conscience. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. As He guides you in your conscience. A clear conscience is of great value. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart. That's the inward parts. Have truth running through your heart. When you sin, keep short accounts. The old account was settled. I love that song, don't you? Man, bring your, your sin to God and keep that account settled close, short accounts with God. If you're allowing sin to pile up, it might take some digging. It might take a lot of work to get that cleaned out. But do it. It's worth it. Clear that conscience. Protect your conscience for its value is seen in the spirit of your life. I'm finished. But what's what's your spirit like? What's your attitude like? If your attitude is one of having to be pushed. Everything's spiritual. You have to be pushed, reminded there's a problem. Get your conscience right. Get your heart right. And be like the Apostle Paul and say, Look, I have a clean conscience. I've made things right with God. I've made things right with man. I'm clear and open before God. That, that, that spirit will... Or that... that uh, that conscience will change your spirit. It'll give you a, something to be thankful for. This Christmas, you go home, college students. Most of you go uh, far away to go home, not the you know, Reinharts and others who go across the lakeside. But you go, you go home. I hope that you'll be a blessing. I hope that you'll have a spirit of serving and helpfulness and uh, saying, where can I jump in? What can I do? Uh, Not being obnoxious, but being helpful. Where does that come from? It comes from a pure conscience, boldness towards your fellow man and towards God. Having a clean conscience will give you that. And I pray that you'll have a great Christmas time as you serve the Lord, continue to serve the Lord, continue to have your devotions, continue to put some pressure on yourself, not from outside, but from within. Pressure on yourself that you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Man, God will richly reward you for that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. What's your conscience like today? I know I went long. I thank God, Paul said, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience. Can you say that? That doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that you have your sins confessed It means you're open with God. It means you have gone to your brother or your sister and made things right. It means you've been forgiven. What a blessing it is when you have a pure conscience. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one here today not to make excuses for why they do what they do, not to make excuses for why they allow sin in their lives. I pray that you'd help each one today to clear out their conscience. Lord, there's some in here that are very sensitive, and I praise you for that. I pray that you'd help them to continue to value that pure conscience. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation time in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, heads by our eyes closed. This altar's open if you need to come down to the altar.